Hello and welcome to the Dive Deep, Climb High podcast. I'm Mel Luizu and together with my guests, we explore all different aspects of leadership in higher education. With inspiring stories, practical tips and a little bit of fishiness, this show will help you dive deep into the leader you are and climb high, unleashing your power and potential. Dive deep, climb high, can-do leadership in a world of can't. Today, we're going to take a deep dive into growth mindsets. My guest is an education leadership coach and trainer, specializing in supporting organizational team and individual change. He is also one of the most influential and engaging speakers I have ever met. He has an energy and a passion that is irresistible. Since 2015, he has been part of a team working under the supervision of Professor Carol Dweck, author and main researcher of mindset theory. The works involved running in-depth programs for teachers, helping them to develop a growth mindset culture. Please welcome to the show, Charlie Warshawski. Hi, Charlie. Hi, Mel. Lovely to see you. Thank you for having me on. And thanks for such a uh, lovely introduction. It really sets me up well in my fixed mindset need for a bit of affirmation. So thanks for that. You're very, very welcome. So I guess my first question has to be, you are a coach, so you will have been exposed to lots of different models and research and theory. How did you come to land in the world of Carol Dweck and her research? I think the main thing, as you say, lots of books come across our paths and you read them and then they either hook us or they don't. The first thing that really, really hooked me was I'd heard that it was working well in schools and making a big difference. So that really excited me. Then when I read her book and then went on to read the research, I realized that having had such a fixed mindset about certain things in my life had been incredibly unhelpful. I, I stopped learning at 12 and a half years old. And I could tell you the very moment, the very lesson when I rewrote my script and I stopped thinking of myself as an intelligent young boy and started thinking of myself as someone who wasn't good enough. And that probably impacted me. And I didn't quite find my way again in my work or my self-belief until my 40s. So there's a pretty big gap. You do less time in prison, I think, for something like that. <laughs> so so it hooked me. And what was so interesting is that actually when, when you learn this, it didn't take ages to then transform it. And understanding that I was running an unhelpful story that says, if you can't do something, it means you're not good enough. And changing it for a different story that says, if you can't do something, it's because you haven't learned the process. It's because you don't know the skills. It doesn't say something about you in a stuck way. So those two things absolutely hooked me and made me realize the usefulness of mindset for myself and also then for all the other various groups of people I get to work with. So for those people that might not 
be familiar with Carol's work. Could you give an understanding of the two polar opposites, fixed mindset and, and growth mindset? So it's based on a set of beliefs. There's enough evidence around to show that many, many things can be changed. We can change. We all know we can change, for example, our level of fitness. We know we can change our weight. We can change some of our skills like learning to sing a song or play a guitar or learn to speak a language um, and up to and including our academic intelligence. So that's really, really well research based. What's less well known is the fact that some people don't believe that. So if we don't believe that we can improve our intelligence, that we can improve our resilience, our willpower, our confidence, our optimism, Carol would describe it as we have a fixed mindset. We're stuck in that place. And a fixed mindset means that there's a cap to how far we can go, that there's no point in trying, making effort, that feedback is some sort of annihilation it's a really uncomfortable place to be. If we go to the other side and think about a growth mindset, it's people who believe the opposite, who people understand that learning is growth, that failure isn't annihilation. We know nowadays you don't have to spend two minutes on Instagram to realize the mantra of failure is good and all of that, but no one teaches you how to fail. People with a growth mindset tend to realize that actually this is part of a process is a learning opportunity, they can grow and stretch, likely to put themselves up for high challenges, likely to go around and look for feedback. So these are two very, very different ways of operating. Professor Dweck would say that her early mistake was to try and put people into two camps in the way that an insights profile tells you that you're red or you're blue. Mm. Actually, we're all a continuum and we can shift on different topics and we can shift according to what day of the week it is or have that conversation with our teenage child just went or whatever. So that's the, the two polars of fixed and growth, but also a bit of the continuum. Yeah, I, I love that idea. I hate anything that puts anybody into a box because we are not defined by boxes. We, we are, are fluid. And, and I really love that idea that, that it's a continuum. So. I guess what I'd like to do today, if it's okay, is explore how we can use this work when we're at work, actually, and and managing our teams. And I know that you do a lot of coaching, you train coaches. And I think in that environment, we're comfortable with this concept. But so often in the work that I do, one of the most challenging things that people have to deal with, irrespective of where they are in the organisation, is around performance and having those challenging conversations. So I'd be really interested to get your perspective on that. So there's probably a couple of things that we could look at. It's the person who has the challenging conversation, the belief about themselves, their capacity to have the conversation, and then the belief about the person in front of them. So, so that first person, we know that there's models out there, don't we? People go on the courses for crucial conversations or fierce conversations or getting their mantras and, and so on. And that's all well and good. And sometimes technique is enough just to allow that to happen. But underneath technique is belief. And so if as a manager working with someone else, you have in this, this aspect, a fixed mindset, 
I'm not good enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not resilient enough. Perhaps I've, I've been labelled as an introvert. So therefore, this conversation is going to be too challenging. I'm too worried about what the person thinks about me. I don't have enough belief in my own sense of kindness, care and empathy. So all of those things can go into the mix to make the leader think, I'm just not going to avoid that conversation. I'm just going to step out of the way. When I was a young man, I worked uh, as a hotel manager. We've talked about this, haven't we, Mel? And we the first hotel I worked in, the food and beverage manager knew everything there was to know about fine wines, but not very much about managing people. And he was afraid of the head chef. They can be scary people, right? He was afraid of the head chef. And when the head chef came and knocked on his door to come and speak to him, this food and beverage manager would typically climb out of the window and go away. This is true. So I would suggest that's the polar opposite of being prepared and able to give feedback. So that's the first thing that I really wanted to explore, that idea that actually we have to be able to believe in ourselves more than have a technique. So doing that bit of mindset work on ourselves as leaders, thinking I have got the capacity to learn this technique, but I've also got the capacity to see I'm already a good enough, kind enough, caring enough person to be able to deliver information well and sensitively. And I'm also a robust and resilient enough person to not fall to pieces if the person's a bit irritated because we've told them that they're not doing something well enough. So does that give you a bit of a flavour of what I mean about the mindset of the leader coming into these challenging conversations? Yes, absolutely. And so often that's what we do, isn't it? We project it onto whatever it is we're doing and say, well, that that's the issue. Whereas actually we need to turn that that viewpoint inwards and yeah. look at what's really going on for us and know that that we have the capability to do it. Yeah, absolutely. The idea that whatever the circumstance, it might take a deep inhalation and a bit of a Dutch courage, but know that actually it's going to be fine. I think that's the bit of learning we want to help our leaders do more than the technique. The technique comes afterwards. I think um, James Dyson, perhaps uh, slightly, slightly discredited this day since he disappeared off to Singapore, but James Dyson said, after the idea... There's plenty of time to learn the technology. So let's have the idea. Let's have the idea that our leaders are good enough, that they can do this stuff. And then let's bring the technique along later. Yeah, absolutely. Because isn't it our mindset that impacts our actions anyway? So what was difficult before with the right mindset suddenly feels a little bit more comfortable and easy. Yes, Yeah. absolutely. The idea, we, we put it back to them. We believe that it's going to be fine. We, we're not like Pollyanna it's, and it's all lovely, but we think that whatever's coming up, it's going to be good enough. Yeah, absolutely. And the other part of it for you? So the, the other part is how we view the person in front of us. And it's really easy, I think, especially in a busy working environment and especially in in maybe high metric type of environments where you're constantly getting reports about how they're doing this quarter, that quarter results and so on. It's really easy to grade and categorize and decide that someone isn't good enough. Now, if we have a fixed mindset about that person opposite us, 
then it's almost like there's no point in having the conversation. So if we find ourselves as leaders using the language of, well, they're not good enough, they'll never change, they're the type of person who they're just stuck, they're X, they're Y, they're too old, they're too young, they're too da 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 then what's the point? What's the point in having any of those conversations? And when we hear leaders say, well, I could tell them, but I think it will just fall on deaf ears. What the subtext of that is, it's saying, I don't believe they have the capacity to change. And it's not too much of a leap for then the person opposite to pick that up. They don't believe in me. They think I'm a bit rubbish. They think I'm, I'm no good. They think I'm not going to be able to sort this out. So we've got this vicious cycle of, I don't think you're good enough. You know, I don't think you're good enough. And on and on and on. So how do we break the loop? We believe in people's capacity to change. And I can imagine that our listeners would say, no, but what about the evidence? They've had 18 rubbish quarterly reports in a row. Of course, they're not going to change. That's foolish. Well, perhaps. And perhaps I'm a a blind optimist, but I don't think so. I think that people often don't have enough autonomy. I think people often don't have enough opportunity to demonstrate their skills. So if we show we think they can change, if we give the message of, I think you can do it, and we help them, I think it's a much more interesting conversation and a much more powerful conversation than the idea of the difficult conversation means I need to tell you off. So that's my view about the big picture, if you like, the attitude that we can have towards the person opposite us we can start believing in them and then the conversation is likely to be quite different yeah absolutely and that's what carol's research showed wasn't it in the work that she's done is that that's what absolutely happens and and schools is a great one for that isn't it yeah yeah and it's fascinating in the school environment and this research is so interesting because it's one of the few bits of research that show that we influence other people's beliefs. You know, we all know we can make, someone else can make us feel bad, can't they? You only need to be cut up at the roundabout, don't you? Or someone nick your seat on the train or, or whatever to feel bad momentarily. But actually, this research shows that we can impose our views and make people feel worse about themselves. So if we take an example in the classroom where a teacher consistently says, right, you do that bit of work because this bit of work's too hard for you. Or what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a praise or a sticker or a treat every time you achieve the tiniest thing. We're saying to them, we don't really believe you've got the capacity to do anything. So we need to reward any tiny, tiny thing. And when I've worked in schools, I have been known as the sticker bully or the praise Nazi. The idea that you come along and say, don't do these things that feel lovely, that make you feel nice. Give out a sticker to everyone because of the relative ineffectiveness of them. Ultimately, we need to send messages to our children, whether it's as teachers or as parents, that we believe in you. That we believe that the next really hard bit of work coming up is something that you'll be able to grasp. And we need to have systems within schools that let that happen. So understanding the language we use, understanding when we praise, understand when we critique, understand how we encourage or um, discourage autonomy, 
I think it's same in schools, same in the workplace, probably same at home in the family, that we can help people get a fixed mindset. We can help them think I'm not good enough as opposed to helping them think my teacher, my mum, my friend, my boss believes in me and they think I can do it. That is so true. And I think when I was exploring Carol's work and and some of the masterclasses that I've been on with you as well, I think that the whole idea around accomplishment and praise is really interesting and perhaps not what you think it is. So can you share some of that as well? So the mantra these days is praising effort or praising process rather than praise a person. So we've all just watched the Olympics or you watch Strictly and you hear all these things, this language about brilliant and wonderful and a natural talent and a genius and born to do this. And so praise gushes out and you type in how how to praise children and you will read article after article for parents and for teachers saying just praise them praise helps their self-esteem the problem is it doesn't the problem is that praise often undermines people's self-esteem often it sends a message to say that we we are praising and we are evaluating you we are saying we think you're brilliant. We own we own the view about whether this picture is good, this drawing is good, this piece of work is good, whether your intrinsic personality is good. Whereas if we step back from that a bit and we start using descriptive praise, for example, so forget giving an evaluation, giving a gold star, saying a brilliant, we just say, I notice, you know, I notice that what you did today, you spent an hour on that. You could have rushed through that. I noticed when that person over there was struggling, you went and you gave them some time. You gave them some effort. We describe what we see. My daughter, who's now nearly 14, she's brought me hundreds and hundreds of pictures she's drawn over the years. I have never, ever, ever said, well done, darling. That might put me out there as a world's worst parent. I have just described what I've seen. I say, oh, look at that. Look at that. That bit, that bit, that bit. And then I'll ask you a question. Then I'll say, which was hard? Which bit do you like? What do you think? And then she talks. And she actually remembers that I have given her loads of praise, even though that I haven't. So we can describe what we see. And if we're going to praise anything, we praise effort. We praise process. Your child walks home in the rain and doesn't call you and come through the door like (laughs) drenched. And you say, God, that really shows commitment, doesn't it? It shows effort. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. I really appreciate it. But get him a towel, right? Don't forget. We can praise the effort that people make. Yeah. Someone not a long way away from here told me that yesterday they spent eight hours learning how to put together podcasts. Well, I you don't need me to tell you you are brilliant. You're a, some sort of podcast guru or genius. Well, what you probably need to hear is you really made a load of effort yesterday spending eight hours on your podcast. That's praising the effort. It's all that is needed. And I think that that is so true because I have worked with organisations. They were corporate organisations. And I remember them saying they couldn't get their head around this because their whole recognition and reward structure was around outputs. Mm. And I think that if that is what we reward, 
then we naturally subdue people's abilities. And in an environment where, you know, a world that wants us to be creative and innovative, if all we're doing is focusing on the outcome, then we're naturally stopping people stepping outside their comfort zone and developing that growth mindset, which I think is a really important lesson for the leaders of today to, to take note of, really. There is so much evidence to show that for complex tasks, actually reward, financial or otherwise, doesn't quite cut it. Once the basics are met, once you've got your salary and it's a reasonable salary, if you are a teacher or an accountant or a doctor or someone who works for the council in management, actually being given stars and certificates and awards and small bonuses is not going to make very much difference. Um, What people really appreciate, many people, uh, Daniel Pink wrote a whole book about this drive, autonomy. Autonomy is incredibly important mastery learning to be really good at these things and purpose the reason why you're doing those things if we're busy doing employer of the month nonsense then that whole thing is lost one one of my favorite expressions that i came across only this year actually by someone called alfie Cohn, who is he really really bangs the drum for stopping praise carrot and stick he said inside every carrot there is a stick now your employer of the month well you lot aren't there's a stick over there. There's a massive demotivated group just, and you've got one person trying not to smile when you put their picture on the mugshot. So how does that help? I love that. And who, who was it that said that? So his name's Alfie Cohn, K-O-H-N. He wrote this absolutely brilliant book called Punished by Rewards. So he's probably led on the research of this. It's it's like it's a, um, it's a hangover of all the old... Pavlov's dog, uh, Skinnerian behaviorists, give them this, they'll do that. Take them away that, they won't do that. And the idea is that people are more sophisticated than that. Yeah. Most of the time. <laughs> we all have moments, right, don't we? we? We certainly do. And people are more than their job description. I think that's what I'm taking from this today mm-hmm. is that so often we define people by the job that they are doing and consequently their job description. But actually what Carol and what you are saying is that have the belief that they are so much more than that and create an environment where they can can let that flourish. Yeah, absolutely. The idea that someone needs to achieve in post and that's good enough. We don't know what people's potential is. That's probably one of my favourite words, but also one of the most badly used words we think we can work out someone's potential from a really really early age so you know how in about 80 percent of schools in the uk put children in set somehow bottom set top set even in primary school you're on the blue table you're on the green table right well 90 percent of children who are on the bottom table when they're four years old are in the bottom set when they are 16 Now, that is saying that at four years old, we've worked out that person. We've worked out that they're not good enough. Now, who knows? I mean, people love to say, well, Einstein couldn't speak till he was four. He'd be on the bottom table. The fact of the matter is we all grow. We all change. We all have the opportunity to develop. So I think the idea that we cap people's potential is incredibly unhelpful. 
We want to be able to give people the message is your potential is unknown and unknowable. Whether it relates to your job or relates to something else, it's unknown and it's unknowable. And I would add to that throughout your entire life, given that I am learning a new skill of editing podcasts <laughs> at the ripe old age of 52. Who thought I would be doing that? <laughs> so bringing the work of, of Carol Dweck into, into my world for a moment, the fish climb trees world. When for you, have you personally had to dive deep and what impact did that have on you? Personal or professional, would you rather? Whichever you care to share. Goodness me. Okay. Well, I, th I think person, actually, let's go for a mix. Um, so when I first started working as a, as a trainer, 2007, someone said to me, go to Toastmasters. I'd never heard of it. Toastmasters, public speaking organization. And I went and I joined and very quickly, I saw that this was going to be really, really useful for me. The idea of meeting in a group of 20 or 30 people, giving speeches, getting feedback on speeches. I found it really, really challenging at first and gradually I got used to it. And what happened is as I got used to it, I had more and more and more opportunities to deliver speeches. And I ended up having to give speeches in front of hundreds of people, including maybe three or 400 people. And I... And now I'm comfortable with it. At the time, I really wasn't. And I can remember pacing around, breathing deeply, trying all those techniques you read about. None of them worked. <laughs> I was just like rescue remedy, gin, didn't do that. But I was, it was, oh, it was, it was awful, Mel. It was so tight. And I was like, could I just get off the stage? Could I get off the stage? And I remember, and those out there who are teachers will know this, turn up at a school on an inset day, there's 400 people there, Many of them do not want to be in that room. They've got marking to do. They've got displays to do. They've got planning to do. And they're sitting there like this, <laughs> arms folded, slightly cynical look on their face with that sort of coming in. What you got to show? What you got to show? And I remember many feedback forms coming back saying things like, not relevant for my year group, won't work in this setting, won't work in this environment. And I kept on coming back. And I kept on coming back and I kept on coming back. And in the three years when this work was really lively with, with Carol Dweck, I would turn up in school after school, delivering on growth mindset to big audiences and small and pushing on with this message and constantly being given grief and constantly being yes-butted all over the shop. So I think that was a moment that I really had to dig deep there. My Toastmaster skill stood me in good stead. It let me know, actually, the speaking bit wasn't the issue. It was the message. But I think that was a really big, deep, dig deep moment for me. I can imagine that. I mean, occasionally we do. We go walk into a room and think, oh, there's one or two people. They clearly don't want to be here. They're clearly here under duress. But to have a group, as we both have teenagers, we know what this is like. We have a room full of teenagers that are going, yeah, right. <laughs> Can't imagine anything worse. I think one of my favorite bits of feedback, I did a workshop for, for teenagers and you get the old happy sheets, don't you? And at the end, lots and lots of very good, learned this, really liked it, lots of fun. And one person had written on the sheet, what have you learned from today? Nothing. What did you like about it? Nothing. What would you like to tell your friends about this? It was rubbish. <laughs> I framed it. 
<laughs> now that really is a test of our growth mindset, isn't it? <laughs> so having dived deep, when have you felt like a fish that climbed a tree? You mean that I've really stretched myself, I've really hit it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think the moment, and if we're keeping it in this world, and if we're keeping it to public speaking, I think the moment when I've been lucky enough to present three times at conferences with Professor Dweck. Sometimes she did the keynote and then I was on the, the stage at another time after. Sometimes she did the keynote and then me and some of the other guys were in little rooms presenting. There was this one time I went and I wasn't due to present. I was just accompanying teachers who I'd been training and they were presenting. And at some point in time, the conference organizers said, actually, Charlie, we'd like a 15 minute slot from you um, just to fill the gap, but also because you've got this key message about blah, blah, blah. In 10 minutes time, is that okay? <laughs> and why I felt like a fish out of a tree is because I was able to just think about my content. I didn't think about my nerves. I didn't think about the audience. I didn't panic. I, it probably wasn't the best. And if I'd had a day to prepare, it would have been better. But the fact that I was able at that moment in time to think, right, I've got a slot. I need to deliver. What's a message? What do I need to say? I felt no one ever describes me as Zen-like, but I felt in, in that little moment of prep and planning, just in my flow, organized, and solid and able to be able to do that. What a fantastic story to tell. I rocked up to a conference with Carol Dweck and delivered my talk with 10 minutes notice. How good is that? And how does that demonstrate a growth mindset? Love it. And it's not all good, right? I mean, if we're going to keep it a bit real, because I'd, I'd hate people to switch off and think, oh, yeah, well, that's the show off show. I, I once did a, a training course where it was someone else's material that I needed to deliver. I wasn't fully confident in it. At about, and it's about 40 people in the room. And about half past 11, one person stood up, put her handbag over her arm like Margaret Thatcher, said, I've never had such a, a bad day's training experience in all my life. And I'm a head teacher and stormed out. And I was sat there a bit like, I don't know, like who, like Mr. Bean, looking around the rest of the room saying, how's everyone else feeling about today? So it doesn't all, it doesn't all go with sunshine. No, it absolutely doesn't. And that's, for me, what the growth mindset is around, isn't it? It's around the fact, it's not saying that we don't have challenges, that we won't find difficulties, that we won't encounter problems. But when we do, we won't let, we won't let them destroy us and we get back up and we get keep going and we keep going, knowing that each time we learn that little bit more and we move forward that little bit more. Absolutely. I'm totally with you on that. So I'm sure there'll be lots of people interested to learn more. Carol Dweck's book is called? Quite simply, it's called Mindsets. It's a really good book. It's a really good read. Her TED Talk is, I think it's one of the top 10 TED Talks being watched, 20 million views, easy to find. Mindset, The Power of Success, Carol Dweck. Definitely I would go and look up that. YouTube is full of it. And if you type in mindset for dot, 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 mindset for teachers, mindset for leaders, mindset for parents, there's all sorts of stuff. And of course, I've got a few bits that I'm very happy to share. Brilliant. And I'll put all of that in, in the show notes. So if people want to learn more, connect with you, have a conversation, how can they do that? So I'm 
they, they can happily get in touch with me and I talk mindsets all day long. I happily run training on mindsets for coaches. I run training on mindsets within organizations and help people. Actually, today we we're talking to a company about designing a new, a new employee engagement activity based on mindset. And they'd never done any research-based stuff at all. So tapping into that. But also coaching mindsets is very much a part of our coach training, helping coaches understand what it is to believe in the person in front of them. So for any of those things, I'm happy to chat. The easiest thing to do is to email charlie at loveyourcoaching.com. My company's called Love Your Coaching. Or you can obviously, you can find us through the link through where, mail or look us up on internet, loveyourcoaching.com. We have a YouTube channel where we put on videos about this sort of stuff. That's how to connect. Yeah. You're also on LinkedIn and Twitter. Yeah, Twitter and even even Instagram. Perfect. I will make sure all of those go in the show notes. So it just leaves me to say a massive, massive thank you. I love chatting with you. You have, as I said at the very beginning, you have such an energy and passion for your subject that is infectious. So thank you for sharing your view of the world with the listeners today. What one thought idea would you like to leave the listeners with today i think it's my expression is it's the capacity for change if we walk around in the world and think everyone has the capacity to change then it can be a game changer if we think all those things we can't do at the moment we've got the capacity to change to learn them if we think about that person we don't think very much of at the moment They've got the capacity to change. If we think about one of our children who isn't quite doing the things that we really want them to do at this stage of their life, they've got the capacity to change. Dare I say it, even, even, even most of our, even all of our politicians, that's a really risky statement to say, they've got the capacity to change. They might be a bit away from it, some of them. Everyone has the capacity to change. And knowing that, I think it can be an incredibly freeing thing. It can change our attitude as parents, as leaders, as friends, as family members, and as part of society. So three words to take away, capacity for change. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Dive Deep, Climb High podcast with me, Mel Luizu. To help build our community of leadership listeners, please leave me an Apple Podcast five-star review. Remember, our fishy adventure doesn't have to end here. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram and Twitter. Links are in the show notes. Dive deep, climb high, can-do leadership in a world of can't. <laughs>